0: episode of STATS, the podcast where we share the accomplishments of the Department of Surgery at Baylor Scott & White Medical Center in Temple, Texas. I'm your host, Dr. Lonnie Gentry. The STATS podcast is sponsored by Dr. Harry Papa-Constantino, the Chair of the Department of Surgery at Temple. With this episode, we continue our series on robotics and surgery. In the first episode, we discuss the history of robotics and surgery broadly and here at Temple as well as the use of robotics in urology with Dr. Christopher Wagner. In this, the second episode, we discuss the current state of robotics broadly and here at Temple, as well as the use of robotics in gynecology. To do so, I've gone outside the Department of Surgery and invited Dr. Anthony McDowell to talk with me today. Dr. McDowell specializes in gynecological oncology and has been at Temple for two years. Dr. McDowell, thanks for joining me today. Glad to be here. Great. To start our discussion, Dr. McDowell, can you tell me the story of how you ended up in medicine, specifically gynecology, and more specifically, how you ended up using the robot in surgery today? It's uh, kind of a funny story. I'm actually a junior, and uh, my dad
1: is an OB-GYN down in Victoria, Texas. Coincidentally, also did his residency here at Scott and White. That
0: explains. I googled your name and <laughs> came up with somebody that had your name, but it didn't sound like you. No, that's your dad, I guess. That's my dad in
1: Victoria. That's right. And so, grew up in Temple at least partly before we moved down to Victoria. Um, so exposed to medicine at an early age, and you know, as soon as I kind of figured out what I wanted to do in, with life, I uh, was set in motion to get here. I guess. You know being a, a junior, it was always one of those things where you try not to do exactly what your dad did, but um I guess genetics are are a tough thing to fight, and so yes. um you know, all of my interests led me to OB-GYN, and then particularly g1 oncology, um, which really let me uh focus on a lot more of my interests in cancer care as well as some of the advanced surgical techniques that we get to utilize,
0: yeah. So were you introduced to the robot in uh, your training? Yeah, so started residency here in 2014.
1: Um, Robots have been around a little bit before that, but here at Baylor Scott and White, it was still kind of in its infancy. So we had one robot whenever I was doing residency, and so not a whole lot of robot experience. But my current partner, Dr. McCormick, um, was robot trained and uh, got my first exposure through him. Went on to do fellowship, and that's where it all kind of took flight. Where did you do your fellowship? So if you can't tell by the hat, University of Kentucky. And so yes. okay. uh, pretty robust surgical volume. We did a lot of robotic surgery up there and got to learn from a lot of really advanced surgeons, not only through G1 oncology, but some of the other departments, surgical oncology, colorectal surgery, and really got to see a good breadth of what
0: the robot had to offer. And so that's one of the things I was glad to bring back. So do you think being exposed to the robot that early on was advantageous in your training and skills? You know, it's funny because
1: I remember in residency, because there was only one robot and it was an access issue, we did so much just straight stick laparoscopy and got pretty good at it. You go to fellowship and just the sheer volume, you get much better at everything, but um, started to really utilized the robot in a way that not only facilitated the surgery, but I could see how it facilitated a surgical longevity for me. So a couple words come to mind, ergonomics, comfort, dexterity. And so it's that, that other aspect of the robot that you can't find in a textbook, but simply it is more comfortable to operate with a robot than it is straight stick laparoscopy, or at least for,
0: for what I do, it is. Mm-hmm. So speak to the current state of robotics and surgery generally, and more specifically at Temple. Yeah. You know, I have a kind of interesting perspective because I get to
1: see how my dad in small town Victoria with his gynecologic practice, how they utilize robots, how Scott White utilizes robots and kind of across the country. It's grown exponentially in the past 10 years. I think it's become one of the mainstay ways of at least doing pelvic surgery. I can't necessarily speak to the whole um, surgical department, but it is definitely being utilized by more and more different types of surgeons. Mm -hmm. I'm sure in the discussion with Dr. Wagner, he probably lets you know that it started with urology, but gynecology wasn't far behind that. I think what you've seen is a wide implementation of the tool across the country, And it's now being utilized in training as a necessity to graduate residents, And so um, people are going to practices where they're expected to know robotic surgery. And if they don't, well, um, they're expected to learn it. And so it's definitely becoming an integral part of not only GYN oncology, but I would say general gynecology as well. Um, for not just the reasons that I mentioned, but for a whole slew of reasons, I think it it's a way to push the limits of what you can do laparoscopically. Um, the visualization's better, you can do finer dissections, you can accomplish more difficult surgeries robotically than than you can straight stick and I think that's one of the the main advantages that we have today that maybe we didn't have ten years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: So I think I read that your dad. Has trained himself in robotics. Is he did accurate. He did, and so gosh, he's
1: turning sixty. Wow, um, this month. So that uh, is impressive. Yeah, and so I mean, it's
0: all impressive, but that he came to it so late. Yeah, well, he
1: he actually says, and I don't know if it's true or not. Dads tend to tell tall tales, <laughs> but he says he did the first laparoscopic hysterectomy here at Scott and White. And so that just maybe ages him a little bit, but. I think it also speaks to his innovation, not to brag about my dad, but there's a lot to brag about. He's a great surgeon and he did actually get out and get in a situation where he wanted to implement that in his practice and taught himself. Wow. So, yeah. And I think that's something that you saw, but hopefully no longer is a necessity as medical training shifts to mm-hmm. teach robotics and training. And hopefully graduate Mm -hmm. residents who are competent to use that as a tool in their practice. Mm -hmm. Do you see it as
0: continuing to grow all across surgery?
1: I think so. I mean, even today, I did a case with the colorectal surgeon here. Um, We were able to accomplish a minimally invasive surgery that, frankly, I don't think could have been done without a robot. Obviously, in urology, it's become a mainstay for mm-hmm. most of their minimally invasive surgeries. For gyn oncology, it's my preferred method for most endometrial cancers. General gynecology, as well as some of the subspecialties, are implementing it. I know one of our other practitioners here who does some of the pelvic floor reconstructive surgery. She does a lot of robotic surgery. It's across the spectrum, getting utilized more and more. And mm-hmm. so, I would say that it's it's something that. Is continually growing, at least the interest is. The tool's been there, but there's also some advancements that are making it uh, more accessible to different providers uh, across the spectrum. Hmm. So, so, what are the uses of the robot in gynecology? Probably the mainstay would be utilizing it in a hysterectomy. A straightforward hysterectomy is just that it, it is a very common, straightforward procedure. But it's when you have different variables added to the Mm -hmm. surgery, that's when it really becomes a helpful tool. You get pelvic adhesive disease, endometriosis, Mm -hmm. cancer in my Mm -hmm. scenario. And so that's the main thing. But when you look at some of the pelvic reconstructive surgeries, a robotic sacrocopalpexy is another nice procedure that can be done robotically. In my field, um, pelvic and periotic lymph node dissections, are much easier with the robot but that's not to say that it can't be utilized for other things as well um complicated reconstruction on some of the urologic tracks that's done by um, some gynecologists across the country and so there's
0: sky's the limit Mm, sounds like it yeah is a robotic surgery quicker it starts off being much slower
1: And so, there are definite barriers to robotic surgery, and that's mostly in a scenario where it's new. And so, when you have a new surgeon, they're going to be slower robotically. Mm -hmm. When you have a new team, they're going to be slower Mm -hmm. setting up. Those are barriers that can be overcome. And I think that we've actually overcome a lot of those hurdles in the past two years since I've started. Mm You know, I brought with me my particular quirks, and people learn those over time. And eventually it can become just as fast
0: as a straight stick laparoscopy. Mm-hmm. So there's that advantage. What are some of the other advantages that you would identify with using the robot? I mean, you've talked a lot about from a surgeon's perspective, it makes things a lot easier. But what about from the patient's perspective?
1: I can tell you a lot of patients ask about it just because of an interest in it. They hear about it. They hear about the benefits of it, whether or not they have a good grasp of those benefits. I think people are always wanting to make sure that their surgeons are doing the newest Mm -hmm. and best techniques. And that might not be robotics for everybody, but I think having that as a tool to offer patients is important because there are scenarios where it, it, at least in my practice, improves my ability to offer good care to people. And namely, I think that for complicated cases, there's a lower conversion to open surgery. Mm-hmm. And so, meaning starting out laparoscopically and being unable to finish the case laparoscopically. I know for a fact that whenever I utilize the robot, I have much more confidence and ability to stay laparoscopic. And that is a huge benefit to patients, not only for length of stay and post operative care, but I think outcomes are also better when you stay laparoscopic, and we know that across mm-hmm. the board. Mm-hmm. When you say recovery time is less? So, traditional open hysterectomy, yes, meaning through a midline incision, they're going to be in the hospital at least three days. Whenever we started doing laparoscopic hysterectomies many years ago, that was the first thing that they saw was they were sending people home the next day. Uh-huh. We're now sending people home the same day. Wow. And so, yeah, That's surgical stays are improvement much shorter. You don't uh, get any shorter than same day. <laughs> That's true.
0: So many advantages. Yes. Many advantages. What would you recommend that patients do when they're assessing whether they want to go with a particular surgeon and a robot? I mean, are there some questions that you would want to ask, some things you'd want to know? If you were going to agree to. Sure. So I think the first and most important question
1: to ask is what way do you feel most comfortable as a surgeon operating? Okay.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Safety is number one. And if I thought I could do the safest surgery through an open incision, that's what I should offer. And so that's really the main important question whenever a patient is asking their physician how they should have the surgery. Is what is the safest way to do this? It's not always robotically it's not always vaginally. it's not always through an open incision and so there's a ton of variables that go into that, and it should be a discussion to be had with the surgeon. Mm-hmm. That being said, if you have a particular interest in having a robotic surgery and the surgeon is not comfortable utilizing that as their mainstay techniques, well you shouldn't force that upon them uh-huh. um you should ask around. But again, I I think that safety is the number one thing. And that really is the only question to ask.
0: And the discussion
1: can go from there. Mm -hmm.
0: So you have seen the robot grow in your practice or gynecological practice across the board?
1: Yes. it has. So one of my mentors who actually helped train me here, Dr. Charles Capon, who's since retired, did no robotic surgery. He was a great surgeon. Learned a ton from him. But we've gone full circle from where he just retired doing no robotic surgery. And I would say I do a majority robotic mm-hmm. surgery. And so it's changed in a generation where you have a familiarity with the tool. The more you utilize it, the more you realize the benefits of it. And so it's definitely revolutionizing the way that I offer care to patients. The next big step is access. The cost of the robot is always something that gets brought up. It is an expensive piece of equipment. Mm. Um, But I think that costs are going down as utilizations go up. And so the more people utilize it, the easier it is to get access to the equipment. The easier it is to get access to the equipment. I think you'll see that costs go down and down and down. And I think the moment you start having a comparable cost of procedure between straight-stick laparoscopy and robots, I think that's going to be the great equalizer between the two.
0: Mm.
1: So Temple has made a commitment to the robot. I would say so. I mean, in the two years that I've been here, they've already increased the number of robots by double. Wow. And that was a big
0: financial commitment. Huge financial commitment. Right.
1: But I think it speaks to our administration's realization of the benefits not only for the surgeon, but also for the patients.
0: How do you feel that you can accomplish the safest surgery for your patients? So let me speak to the most common
1: surgery that I do, and that would be an endometrial cancer surgery. A vast majority of these cancers are treated surgically because a vast majority of them are confined to the uterus alone. But the way we prove that is we do a lymph node assessment. And so there's a couple different techniques. You can do a full pelvic lymphadenectomy, meaning you remove all the lymph nodes in the pelvis. But you can also do something called a sentinel lymph node dissection, which also can be done a couple different ways. But the way that me and my partner utilize is a dye that fluoresces at the near-infrared signal. We inject the cervix with that dye, travels to the first draining lymph node. And we selectively remove just that one lymph node on either side, called a sentinel lymph node dissection. The robot allows me to not only visualize that sentinel lymph node as well as you ever can, it's like operating with a microscope, but it allows me to do really finesse dissections where I can seal individual lymphatic channels, I can take these lymph nodes off of the obturator nerve. I can take them off the ureter. I can really do delicate finesse surgery that is hard to do laparoscopically. And it is just much easier robotically. And when I think of how can I do a surgery as safe as I can, it's as easy as I can. The moment you start adding difficulty and complexity to it, you increase risk. You increase the chance of a complication and so i think that
0: robot improves that aspect at least for me surgically mm-hmm. you're obviously committed to the robot you've really come to appreciate its benefits i have, I have. um i guess about six months
1: ago i did a, my 100th robotic hysterectomy here it's gotten wow and so even in a short while we've done quite a bit of surgery here and so i'm committed i think the The department's committed to it as well. I know the hospital is, and Baylor Scott and White's institution is. So we'll keep moving forward as long as
0: they let us. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. So, Dr. McDowell, let's say a surgery was started on a patient laparoscopically, and for some reason it it didn't work out. Would you encourage them to come here to Temple? And why would you encourage them to come and And talk to you or others here at Temple about following up on that.
1: If they were unable to have a surgery accomplished laparoscopically, there's talented surgeons all around the state. It doesn't mean that we for sure can accomplish it here. But I do think that we have a very special situation here at Scott and White. One of the reasons I came back to Scott and White is because we have A special situation where we have a whole bunch of subspecialists who can help facilitate a surgery. And it's that aspect of what we have to offer here that isn't necessarily available to every physician around the area. If I take a patient back to the OR and have challenges, I can call for help. We have colorectal surgery here, we have urology here. We have trauma surgery here, all of which operate on the robotic console. And so having those people to ask for help is really the main thing that I have to offer that other people don't, is I work in a place where help is readily accessible. And for that reason, I do think that there is value in coming here to Scott and White and Temple for at least a second opinion. Otherwise you might not get the benefit of a laparoscopic surgery. And so for that reason, to in a very roundabout way, yes, I would come here and ask.
0: Well, Dr. McDowell, thanks so much for talking with me today. I wish you the best in your practice and your continued use of the robot, that it will benefit more and more patients. Absolutely. It was a pleasure speaking with you. That concludes this episode of Stats. Be on the lookout for the next episode of Sharing the Accomplishments of Temple Surgery when we will continue our discussion of robotics and surgery.